Our scripture for today is John 16, verse 4 through 7. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you, rem you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is the word of the Lord. Good stuff. Gosh. The Lord is on the move in this place. And it's, uh, it's exciting to be here. It's exciting to be a part of it. Um, we did hear from the principal of the elementary school, Principal Grandin, that next week we'll be starting set up and tear down again. So we already, you know, it's not like this during the week, but we've been keeping everything on the stage all summer. And with school kicking off, they're going to be using every aspect of the building. So mention that because uh, our setup and teardown team is actually, uh, I'm, I've been on that team for two years now, and it's actually a really amazing team to be a part of because not only are you helping to set up the church, but we get here at 7 a.m., and then our goal is at 8 a.m. for the worship team to start rehearsing. So you get to hear the worship team rehearse for like an hour and a half, which is pretty amazing just to, be, to kind of be around and all that stuff, but then also um, to interact with each other. So one of our sayings as a church is we don't want to use people to build ministry. So just be like, hey, be on the setup team, and when you get so worn out you don't even want to be here anymore, then, you know, do something else. But instead, we, so we don't want to use people like that to build ministry. We want to use ministry to build people. So with the idea of hey, we, we are humans together, and yes, we happen to be setting up the church and setting up the stage and setting up kids' church and unloading the trailer and loading up the trailer, but we're talking, we're interacting with each other. And for me, it's a way that I connect with a lot of people in the church is by us uh, doing setup and teardown together. And so, so you, if you want to be a part of the teardown kind of only or be a part, a lot of people come at 7 then at about 8.15 or heading home to then get ready. But when we were planting in Oklahoma City, uh, Hannah and Silas were a part of our setup team from when it felt like maybe even a little unsafe, like how small they were. Uh, but it was a good way to disciple them. And we made sure it was safe, but it was a good way uh, for them to just have a heart of serving the church and seeing how we interact with each other and building into each other and all that stuff too. So, so we never want to be a church that's like guilting people or uh, I had a pastor friend that was like, I refuse to preach until six people sign up for this. And that Sunday, like, people signed up just to get the guy to move on, you know, I then ended up not really having a heart for it. But if it's like, yeah, that's a way I can mentor my family. That's a way that I can be involved. That's a way that I can kind of know and be known. Um, the, the next couple of weeks on the set teardown team will be, will be really good uh, to jump into that too. So, and we've got um, Tanner does a good job kind of knowing the details of what plugs into what and everything. So, so Tanner will kind of show you the ropes and, and you can jump right in. So, um, this is our third week in our Gentle and Lowly series uh, off of this book that we've got a handful of the books on the table still. And man, just would really love, I've been hearing good stuff about people reading through the book. And it's not like we've discarded the Bible and now we're going through this book. But what it is is a book that basically highlights what the Puritans in the 1600s were, were thinking about 
as they were reading scripture about the heart of God, like what is God like and what is he like for us? And so, so we looked at the father as the father of mercies. We looked at the son as gentle and lowly. And today our focus is on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Okay, now some of you might feel like freaked out, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Are there snakes inside of something that we're going to bring out? And this is where it gets weird. And I like to say, we've been weird from the beginning, so uh, we're not going to do anything to become more weird, Lord willing. Uh, But uh, man, the Holy Spirit is not like the person of the Trinity that's freaky or that makes you feel uncomfortable or any of that, like our God is home. And um, man, we might have experiences or whatever, but to, to be like scripture show us him and let us step into this. And so it's been taught from the beginning and it should always be taught that we have one God. We, we have one God. He is eternal, which means he has no beginning. If you got in a time machine and said, take me to the beginning of God, you would never arrive anywhere. He's eternal. He has always been. He will always be And gratefully, he is not silent. He is not aloof. He has drawn near to us. He's spoken to us. He's revealed his heart towards us. And even in the book of Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. Plural, us and our. And uh, Jesus revealed a lot more clearly as we moved into the New Testament, as he was on, on the ground sharing with us who he is, sharing with us our God, that our one God exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's always been three persons of the Trinity. So at Christmas, Jesus didn't like get adopted into the Trinity. Um, all three persons of the Trinity are eternal. Christmas is when the second person of the Trinity moved into the neighborhood and stepped into his creation. The three persons of the Trinity have different roles, even different wills. Their wills are in alignment, like Jesus even could pray, uh, not my will, but the will of the Father as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, They're all equally God, equal in power, equal, equal in strength. The book of Colossians says that in Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. So two weeks ago, we learned about that the heart of the son is not uh, proud, is not uh, his glory at our expense, that the heart of the son is he is gentle and lowly, and when we come to him, we find rest for our souls. That the father is not a mean, vindictive father seeking to give us what we deserve, but he is actually the father of mercies. He is merciful. He has the power and ability to give us what we deserve. And he has the heart to continually give us mercy. And so today, we're paying attention to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit like? When I think of the Spirit, what should I think about? How central should the Spirit be in our lives today? Jesus... um, Jesus is desiring for us to know the Spirit. 
and to, to be able to love him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so, uh, man, receive these realities. Like if I'm just like, hey, just sit back and just bask in this. Receive this. This is some of the things that Scripture tells us that the Spirit does. Okay, we've been looking at like essence, like who are you before you do anything? And so we're going to kind of start seeing the essence of the Spirit by looking at what the Spirit does. So this is looking at some things in Scripture. You might want to take notes, or we can post this later. We can send this in in an email, or we'll record this. Um, But one of the things that the Spirit does is regenerates us. John 3, 6 through 7. The Spirit takes people dead in our sins, is how Scripture describes it. He takes people dead in in our sins, unable to respond to Him, and He makes us alive to desire Him, to respond to Him. So we've had multiple, over three people in the last two weeks give their lives to Jesus, and the Spirit did this. The Spirit regenerated them, brought them alive so they could come to Him. So regenerates us. The Spirit convicts us, second, John 16, 8, he takes hearts that are cold, that are hardened by sin, by life, and he melts our hearts to desire his holiness and to desire a righteous life of purity and purpose. Convicts us. He empowers us with gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. He supplies the power. He's the one that's supplying the power to do His will by giving us gifts that are used for His kingdom. And you can almost think of it as like getting a gift that requires batteries. It's kind of a crude example, but getting a gift that requires batteries and the gift is kind of going to just not be what it's supposed to be without the batteries. And we are told that the Spirit gives us the gift then is the batteries, (laughs) empowers the gifts that he gives. Fourth, testifies in our hearts that we are God's children. Galatians 4, 6. He speaks to those who have given their lives to Jesus for salvation, given our lives to Jesus, and he says, you're his. You are his. He speaks to the central part of us, our hearts, testifies to our hearts that we are God's children. The central part of us, he tells us, we are God's. We are his. He leads us. Galatians 5, 18 through 25. We don't know the direction that we're supposed to go. He does. And he leads us. He makes us fruitful. Galatians 5. If our goal in life is the American dream, we were at the state fair on Friday, and we were kind of uh, joking about, like, if we submitted, like, plastic fruit in the state fair, you know, or, like, if you go up to, like, the most amazing fruit in the uh, agricultural building, and you realize, like, it's hollow, and it's fake. It looks nice on the outside, and I think if, if our, the pursuit of our life is the American dream, we will receive plastic fruit. At the, at the end of the road... Um, man, like, I thank God that we're able to be citizens of the United States, uh, that to live in this country. I, I'm grateful to God that uh, we live in Iowa. But if, like, 
the Iowa edition of the American dream is the end goal for us. It will be fruit that is plastic. It'll, it'll just um, not be real. It'll, it'll make us realize that we've set our sights too low, that our ambitions were, were too low and were misplaced and we've settled for lesser things. We've, we've devoted ourselves to the wrong kingdom plastic fruit. The closer you get to it, you realize it's not real. The closer you get to it, you realize it lacks substance. Uh, The Spirit, when He empowers us, reorients our desires, produces in our lives genuine, bursting with life and flavor fruit. And we can enjoy things that the Lord blesses us with, but those aren't our God anymore. He's given us fruit, real fruit, makes us fruitful. He grants and nurtures in us resurrection life. Romans 8, 11, the power that shook the earth, the power that brought Jesus back to life, the resurrection power, resurrection life is granted to us. It's nurtured in us by the Holy Spirit. I mean, imagine, like, that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to have the power that rose Jesus from the dead flowing through our veins. Enables us to kill sin. Romans 8, 13, or, yeah, 8, 13. Sin that's plagued us for days and decades. Sin that's plagued us for days, sin that's plagued us for decades It's enabled to be killed, ripped out of our lives by the Holy Spirit. He can do that. Intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. Romans 8 again. A few of these are in Romans 8. When words seem to fail, when we're just unable to even, it's like, gosh, I'm coming in hot. got a lot of stuff going on. I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know how to formulate the words. I'm just feeling deeply, I need you. And the Spirit is interceding when, we, when words fail. We fall into His arms, looking to Him to intercede for us when we don't know what to pray. He guides us into truth, John 16. He is God, the author of Scripture. So, you know, sometimes you're reading a book and you're just like, I have no idea what the author means here. And you're like, I wish I could talk to them maybe, or I'm glad I can't talk to them because I'm like, I don't understand you. But we know that he is actually delighting and we have stories of so many people. They're like, and my story, I was like, I grew up hearing Bible stories and they just like bounced off of me. And I couldn't have told you any Bible story. I couldn't have told you like, like I ever felt it like, take root in my life until I gave my life to him, until I met the author, and then meeting him, and then having the Spirit teach me the words of God, I remember actually being like, wow, I actually get this now. I I will never forget where I was in a college uh, at UNI in Cedar Falls, and I was in the student union, and a guy passed a Bible over to me and said, hey, read this passage, and I read it out loud, and he said, what does that mean? And I'm doing okay at school. You know, I, I think like I'm literate. I, I can read. And I read that and I was like, I have no idea what that means. And I could tell, I could understand the words, 
Like, I, I could read, <laughs> but I couldn't understand what they were telling me. Uh, then when I met the author, and I read those verses again, and those verses actually led me to meet him, because I'm like, I want to know this. I want to know you like these people do, but I'm like giving you the stiff arm. And when I finally was like, I give you my life, I was like, oh, wow, I actually understand this, because he's guiding us into truth. And yes, you can understand things about God. My story was I couldn't understand a lot of things until I came to him, but people are able to understand that he, he is, is gracious in how much he gives us before we, we give ourselves to him. And the Holy Spirit all the while is guiding us into truth. And then last, um, last of this list, there's many more we could talk about, but this one, he transforms us into the image of Christ. The Spirit has committed for each of our lifetimes. He's not going to like divorce us if we kind of mess up too many times. He's committed that those who give their lives to the Son, I will for a lifetime walk with you, transforming you to look like the Christ. He takes each of us, our history, our personality, our faults, our strengths, and He forms us into the image of Christ. And I thought, uh, I, I like chainsaws, I like the smell of them, I like the sound of them, I, I just love to chainsaw, and it's just, it's just a thing. And so at the Iowa State Fair, we went to the chainsaw artist area, you know, and it was amazing to see these people with these rudimentary tools taking a piece of a tree and forming it into a piece of art. You know, cutting away the things and they were explaining stuff. And at times you'd look at it and be like, I know that's trying to look like an angel. It doesn't look like an angel. You know, it's not even close to looking like an angel. And what, even then they would grab the microphone and be like, hey, I decided to stop here because I know that's an angel's head, but like I'm going to switch tools. And, for, and I thought they were like done. And it's like, oh, I can do better than that. And they're like, no, I'm actually changing tools because I'm now going to do a lot of refining work. And there's an angel's head in there, you know. And, and what I love is like the spirit with far greater tools than chainsaws. But, but the, the, the spirit, though, is forming us into the image of Christ. And, uh, man, I'd encourage each of us to meditate on these things, even beyond this morning. Uh, we've just in a few minutes covered what are treasures that should be chewed on and, and really thought about and see like, man, you're doing all of this for me, forming me into the image of Christ. And um, we're just this morning getting started though to realize the heart of the Spirit towards us. So that's kind of an introduction of the heart of the Spirit towards us and we're going to look at this super fascinating passage in John 16. So if you have a Bible, turn to John 16. Um, uh, you can pull out your phone. We'll have the verses on the screen. Uh, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, going to the table of contents is purely legal. <laughs> Feel free to do that. Um, if you get to like Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John is the fourth book. So about two-thirds into the Bible, you should start encountering the New Testament. John 16. And we're jumping into a already going on conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples. John 16, we're going to start in verse 5. It says, Jesus says, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? 
But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus lets the disciples know that he's not going to be with, him, with them in person much longer. And man, if you think about it, many of them waited their entire lives to meet him. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were waiting for the anointed one to come. And he finally came. He's standing in front of them. He's doing all of these miracles to show that he is who he says he is. They, he stepped into what just felt like an upside-down world in the Roman Empire. He stepped into this upside-down world. And every time he spoke, it was like a ray of sunshine breaking through the clouds turning the world right side up, making things that don't make sense start making sense, realizing I can trust you, I can listen to you, you are gentle and lowly, the king is kind, in him we find rest for our souls, Jesus has finally come, he's finally come, he's finally revealed himself, and then he says, hey, the plan, plan A here is I'm not going to be here in person. Plan A is I'm not going to be here in person. And the disciples genuinely are filled with sorrow. In their hearts, in the core of who they are, sorrow has filled up. Their their cup that's just full of sorrow. And, and, And I mean, we could feel that way. It's like, hey, do you think your week would have been better if Jesus would have just been next to you all day? Do you think like in a tragic time, in a confusing time, if it was like, Jesus, if you would have only been here, this would have been so different. If you wouldn't have gone, if you would have stayed, it it would have been so much easier. It would have been so much better. And they're starting to see this. Jesus is still in front of them, but he's like, he's just told them like, hey, I know we're just getting started here and I'm going to leave. I'm not going to be here. And verse 7 is so staggering, and Jesus is so clear here. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What's huge here is the Spirit is the key between our Savior and our Father who feel far away and us. Jesus is telling us, hey, the answer to you feeling sorrow, the answer to you wishing that we could be present with each other, the answer to all of that is I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. He makes us able to truly feel the Father of mercies and the gentle and lowly Son of God. And I've, I've talked to some people, they're like, I would give my life to Jesus if I just felt it. If I could just really feel his presence, and if I could really feel that it was like, yes, I would would come home running. Or like, man, my heart feels hardened, and if my heart would just be softened, I think I would respond. And Jesus is telling us, this is the role of the Holy Spirit, is to make it possible for us to feel and to not just be, be numb to life but to feel these things 
that we're hearing. Several verses later in verse 12, Jesus tells us more. He says, I have still many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You don't have ears to hear. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, my gentle and lowly heart. You'll find rest for your soul. He will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. So even like in the middle of the night, if you can't sleep, the room's dark, you're lying in your bed wide awake, it might be the perfect time that the Lord's like, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm now declaring to you these things that are true. I'm declaring to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Amen. Our hardened hearts, hearts that are hardened by suffering. You know, sometimes we just, I joke sometimes, like I didn't cry at the birth of any of my kids because I grew up castrating pigs. Like that's a, a weird excuse that I give, but it's just like, a lot of that compassionate heart got ripped out of me because I didn't want to stand there blubbering like a, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I learned to compartmentalize things. I know, I'm just, I, I got weird there all of a sudden, sorry. But I just realized like there's a lot in your life that you can look in the rearview mirror and be like, man, I really hardened my heart there. And maybe sometimes it's kind of genuine. Other times it's just like false coping mechanisms. Like it's okay to feel certain things, you know. And our hearts that are hardened by suffering, that are hardened by life, that are hardened by the way that our heart makes an idol of worshiping everything but God, Jesus is telling us, like, I see Jesus telling us that I know all of these words can just bounce off of you. All of these words can come to you and just bounce off. And what makes them actually get into your life, take root in your life and grow and transform us is the role of the Holy Spirit, softening us, guiding us into all truth genuinely, not just speaking to us truth that bounces off, but guiding us truly into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority. The Spirit is about us knowing and enjoying the goodness of God. The Spirit takes what is the love of Jesus for you. The Spirit takes what is the Father of mercies towards you. And then the Spirit declares to you these things, teaches you these things to really feel it, to really feel all that is His, that's all that's declared to us. And Thomas Goodwin, a Puritan who lived in the 1600s, said this about what we're discovering today. He tells us this kind of from the eyes of Jesus. He says, My father and I have but only one friend who lies in the bosom of of us both. They use different words in 1600s, but I think we'll all understand the heart of this. And proceeds from us both, the Holy Ghost. And in the meantime, I will send him to you. He shall be a better comforter unto you than I am to be. He will comfort you better than I should do with my bodily presence. 
In what way is the Spirit a superior comforter to God's people? He shall tell, tell you if you will listen to him and not grieve him. Nothing but stories of my love. All his speech in your hearts will be to advance me and to greaten my worth and love unto you, and it will be his delight to do it. So that you shall have my heart as surely and as speedily as if I were with you. And he will be continually breaking your hearts, either with my love to you or yours to me or both. He will tell you when I am in heaven that there is, a true, there is as true a conjunction between me and you and as true a dearness of affection in me towards you as is between my Father and me. And that it is as impossible to break this knot and to take off my heart from you as my Father's from me. So he's bringing in to us, bringing us into the relationship that the Trinity has for each other. The Spirit is how we know, how we feel, how we experience the mercies of the Father. Hebrews 3, 7. So you can write this down. This is another section. Hebrews 3, 7 is really uh, unique as far as my study can tell is I think this may be the only place in Scripture where the Spirit is directly quoted. We hear a lot about what the Spirit is doing behind the scenes, but to actually hear the Spirit speak to us is, is very unique. And Hebrews 3, 7 is, is a place where we, we hear the Spirit speaking to us. Hebrews 3, 7 starts by saying, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Where does this take us? Man, would none of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Wouldn't that be beautiful if this is a, a church, if this is a sanctuary where we are not being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, not being hardened by suffering, not being hardened by our own temptations and our own flesh. Let's not let sin deceive us. Today, would we hear his voice would we feel our hearts becoming softened? Instead of rebellion, would the Lord find repentance? Instead of putting him to the test, would in his nail-scarred hands we rest and put, put our rest in, in him? Would we know his ways? Would we enter into his rest today? And if there's any evil, unbelieving heart, in this room right now, leading to falling away from the living God, would we encourage each other 
Would it be melted to be a believing heart finding rest in the living God? While it's still called today, I love how the Spirit says, while it's still called today, would we give our lives to Him, placing our lives in His hands? Would all of us be placing our lives in His nail-scarred hands, letting the Spirit declare to us the things of God, letting the Spirit transform us into the image of Christ? And the worst thing we can do is leave and say, I need to try really hard for Him to receive me. This is saying the exact opposite, is what the Spirit is about, is us stopping to do it on our own and to let Him teach us and show us the beauties of what Jesus has done for us, the heart of the Father of mercies, the work of the Spirit generating in our lives, even the desire to say, I want to commune with you. I want to give my life to you. I want you to soften me. I want you to make me look like Christ in this area. I want to receive your gift. I'm coming to you. I'm communing with you. So that's what communion is. Communion isn't a separate part of the service. Communion is us worshiping God, hearing from the Lord in Scripture, and us, we're, we're steadily moving towards Him and moving towards Him. And then He designed this to say, hey, the Spirit is with you. I will physically be with you forever soon. Do this in remembrance of me. I, Jesus has not taken communion since he led his disciples into communion in the upper room. But he says, I, when we're all together as family again, I will, I will dine with you. I will do this. But as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the way that, that I would encourage us is to spend some time with Jesus. Spend some time letting the Spirit move in us. Spend some time saying, Lord, melt my heart. Let me receive this. Open my eyes to you. I, I, I want to give my life to you. And man, I would encourage you if you walked in without Jesus being your Savior, would you, would you commune with him in that way today? I'd love to talk with you about that. I can pray alongside of you as you're praying to him. But for all of us, man, even after giving your life to Jesus, things can happen that would start hardening our hearts and to let the Spirit soften us, let the Spirit open ourselves up to Him. So let's spend some time with Him, and then let's come to the table. If you haven't come to Jesus yet, come to Jesus, then come to the table. And then the way that we do this is that uh, Norm and Carmi, they'll have some plastic gloves on, and they will break off a piece of the bread and just hold your hands out like this, and they will make eye contact with you and say, this is the body of Jesus given for you. And receive that. Receive the love of God that he would do that for you. And then they'll give you bread. And then we have wine and juice. Obey your conscience there. We have a cup for gluten-free if that would bless you. And then what we'll do then is we'll, we'll uh, everybody come down the center. That'll work well for like just the, the flow. Come down the center. But then remain standing with the elements. And then we'll take it together as family. So let's commune with him. Let's come to him.